Holiday shopping is so stressful. It doesn't have to be. BlendJet is the perfect gift for everyone on your list. BlendJet? It's the portable blender that lets you make smoothies and shakes anywhere. That sounds amazing. But what about the price? That's the best part. BlendJet's Black Friday sale is going on right now. It's their lowest price ever. I'm sold. Where do I get it? Just go to BlendJet.com. But you've got to hurry. The sale won't last forever. BlendJet.com. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Little Woman podcast. Jimena and I continue our discussion on May Alkut Nieriker, who was Luisa May Alkut's younger sister, a very talented painter and a very interesting woman who has definitely been overshadowed by her sister. I would like to read you an excellent essay that Jimena has written. It is called Could Laurie Be Considered a Fallen Soldier? And if you want to read more of Jimena's writings, you can follow her on her blog in Tumblr called Theater Art Blog. Could Laurie be considered a fallen soldier? Quote, I just realized something. In Mexico, we have this expression of the fallen soldier. It probably exists in other countries. It applies for men who perform big gestures. For example, big posters, fireworks, flash mobs for a girl they like. And they make it public, like it's a big deal. They would invite the entire family to the proposal, or put a big poster in the middle of the school for everyone to see and cheer. And they expect the girl to accept them, just for that. The thing is that it is not as romantic as people think. They are appealing to social pressure, to force the girl to say yes. It's not nice, it's embarrassing, and a lot of girls hate it. I personally witnessed one of those things and the girl was warned about it, so she didn't attend school that day, but everyone was attacking her. They said she was heartless and that he was an awesome guy. What were these people talking about? It was humiliating. Laurie didn't arrive with a huge bouquet or took a microphone to declare his love for Joe, but he thought that his grand jester was going to college and graduating well. And just for that, Joe had to say yes. Thank God Amy made him understand that college was nothing more than his duty. And as Mr. Knightley wisely said, duty is the only thing a man ought to do. But it happened after the proposal, so Joe had to bear him. The thing with the fallen soldiers is that more often than not, the girl had already rejected them. But they keep insisting. In Little Woman, Joe knew of Laurie's feelings and she was super uncomfortable about it. My God, she put an actual pillow to avoid him getting too close. She had talked with Marmee about it and both agreed that it was not a good idea. This was not a surprise. Joe had known for quite a while that they wouldn't work and Laurie knew she would say no. And she appealed Laurie's good reasoning to understand that and leave her alone. She was wrong. Quote, She wouldn't be vain enough to think people were going to propose when she had given them every reason to know what her answer would be. Everybody feels for Laurie in that scene, and I get it. It is breaking his heart and it's shattering whatever future he thought they could have. But I felt worse for Joe, because Laurie is pushing her too much, and it's unfair and inconsiderate. He argues that he had given up things to please her, which is so unhealthy. Then he says their family expects it, which is sort of a social pressure, but really, mommy doesn't like it. 
he proceeds to insult Bear, and here is where I feel for him the most, cause Joe says that Fritz is her best friend after him. That must thing, but I guess it's the natural course of life, your partner does become your closest person. He goes as far as to threat her with hurting himself. Please, Joe and Lori fans, do tell me where do you see the romantic, healthy elements in this proposal. All I see a woman having to deal with a man-child. Look, I feel bad for Lori, I really do, and I love him. Together with Amy and Joe, he has the biggest character growth. He goes from this guy to a very respectable, hard-working man. And even before, he did really wonderful things for the girls, but at that moment, he was not the nice boy next door. And then Laurie expected all women to treat him nicely, just because Joe broke his heart. There is no fallen soldier, just an unrequired, imprudent ridicule. End quote. And hashtag, Laurie needed tough love. I come from a rather prude Scandinavian country. I don't have experiences with fallen soldiers, but definitely I've had guys privately trying to press me to things that I am not very comfortable with. I think I have mentioned this in some of the earlier episodes. When you read Little Woman, there isn't any scene where Laurie is thinking about the future with Joe. It all just comes out in this proposal that our family expects it, our grandfather expects it, etc. And I have wondered why that is. After Joe has rejected him and Laurie is in Europe, in Vienna, composing an opera, there's this part where you get this feeling he doesn't really care who he's going to marry. He just wants to be married because that is what is expected of him. And he wants to find love. But I also think that shows very well how he didn't have any kind of plan for the future with Joe. He just expected Joe to be his caretaker. And he actually says that in the proposal itself, that he loves Joe because Joe is always so good to him. He doesn't love Joe because of Joe's personality and Joe wanted to be a writer, Joe's ambitions. And it's so different to Friedrich because he loves Joe because of all of those things. And he actually thinks about future with Joe, what what future would be like. This time in Vienna, when Laurie gives up, writing this opera for Joe and starts to think about Amy, it is amazing because you can actually see how he grows out of his delusions. The narrator mentions how he wanted to find an earnest work. He wanted to do something honest. So this transition when Laurie moves on from Joe to Amy, it's actually a metaphor of him growing from a boy into a man. And that is not in any adaptation. This reminded me of something that Melody and I discussed in an earlier episode. And Melody said that perhaps Laurie had been reading some kind of overly romantic poetry or a book that was popular at the time with this sort of fallen soldier type of man encouraging him to keep pursuing this girl no matter how many times she's going to say no, which is not healthy. So in this episode, Jimena and I will be discussing some of the next generation characters And I don't want you to be confused, especially if you haven't read the sequels of Little Woman. So here are the next generation characters. Bess is Amy's and Laurie's daughter. And John's and Meg's children are Daisy, Demi and Josie. And Joe and Frederick has two sons, Rob and Ted. 
and then Friedrich's nephews are Franz and Emu. And Jo kind of adopts them to herself because Jo loves boys. This is Small Umbrella in the Rain, Little Woman Podcast, Life and Art of May Alcott, Part 2. Enjoy! How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. Have you seen the 2017 series? Yes. It's really hard for me to watch that one because I didn't like how Maya Hawk portrayed Joe. I just don't like that they make Joe this very arrogant and very mean person in the adaptations and we're supposed to love her for that. I didn't like a lot how, how Joe was portrayed, but yeah, I think. I felt that it was pushing Joe and Amy once again to fight over Laurie because I'm so tired with that trope. I like that it showed this relationship that Joe had with Aunt Marge in a, in a more positive light. Yeah, that was something that always bothers me. I kind of have the opposite problem with the 2019 film because I think you said that it makes Joe to look like a martyr. I feel the same with the 1994 film in that scene where Amy gets to go to Europe and then Joe is like, no, I should go to Europe. You don't really see that, that it was all Joe's fault. You either make... Amy some kind of anti-hero or a villain, and then you make Joe a martyr. And I just wonder, is there any way that you can show these two characters in a balance? The 2019 movie apparently prays for that. And I'm like, well, no, they didn't even do a very good job at that. Well, if Amy feels like she's second to Joe, then that's a disservice to her. Because, yeah, that's also that's not in the book. Amy never feels like they're different, and, and they know that. But yeah, the, the 2017 pushes the rivalry too much. Joe is even angry at Laurie when, when he comes back married. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't like that. In the book, you know, if Ben wouldn't have been sick, he would have tried to, like, move the thing to, to make Joe, uh, Amy and Laurie get together. She says it, like, she was like, well, make, uh, make Mary John and then together. She says it like she was like, Well make and make Mary John and then 
help children around me like him. So it, it's all training. She would have supported her completely. First she plans to marry Laurie to Meg, then to Beth, then to Amy. Because he wants Laurie to be her brother. Yeah, that's all that she wants. But people yeah. just don't want to believe that because they romanticize their relationship. I, I think I read this from your one of your posts that when you read the book, you were expecting to see these romantic moments between Joe and Laurie, and there wasn't any. Yeah. I was like, well, that was my reading experience. <laughs> Everybody says that he only makes them understand that he and Laurie belong together, and that's great. So he was like, okay, I'm going to read this book about to see there's something there. The first part, I didn't find any of those scenes. And then in the, um, in the second part, one of the first things that you read is that people have noticed that Lori's feelings have changed and that Joe is like, please don't talk about that. Like, don't tease me about that. I, like, she, she really wants to stay away from that. I mean, that annoys her. So I was like, huh, well, <laughs> um, how are we supposed to, to shake that? But, you know, recently a friend uh, has told me that Fred really loved Amy. And then a friend said, well, you know, his work is very similar. His attitude towards it is very similar to how Laurie approached Joe. And that changed completely how I saw it. Because if you read the chapter about his friend, yeah, a lot of what Fred does is very... Extravagant. And, yeah, I mean, like, he, he, he offers her a serenade, and then the next day she's like, oh, look, uh, the girls threw flowers at them. She's like, oh, look, I, I, I kept this flower that you throw, and Amy is like, oh, that, that one was thrown by Flo. And he immediately throws it away in a very childish way, and I was like, I see it now. And so I kind of now get why some people think that romantic what Lori is doing for Joe uh, is very similar to what Fred is doing and both of them I don't think they are uh, depicting actual love they are maybe infatuation they are like I said they are very privileged boys who are not well who gets fancy for for girls and they they don't know how to to handle a no I think I sometimes get why Joe and Lori are sheep but yeah it's still a bad interpretation of their relationship if you think about the way a lot of romantic comedies are, are played, you get that kind of overly romantic male character making these big gestures. And then you see a lot of that in many films and TV shows. How realistic is that <laughs> in terms of yeah. relationships being successful? Yeah. Joe, in the very beginning of the novel, she kind of makes these pretty clear statements what she finds romantic and unromantic. It is weird to me how people say that Joe kind of rejected marriage, but it's also because I've done lots of research on Louis's views on um, love and romance. But in um, the first part, Joe is reading a romance novel. And then I noticed that in the chapter Castles in the Sky, a few chapters earlier, Joe has had this meltdown because she sees that Margaret is now, now a woman and Joan is marry her. She's not really that angry that she wants to marry, she's afraid that Meg is leaving and going away. And she's actually <laughs> moving to the next door. She's not going too far. But then in Castles in the Sky, there's this scene where Joe says to Meg that she she's going to get married and have beautiful children. 
And then she's quite happy and content when she says that. It's interesting yeah. <laughs> because she's reading a romance novel that in the book itself. She doesn't really have anything against marriage per se. No, and she, in the proposal scene, John says that she's not ready to get married and to give up her liberty. And then Laurie says, I think you would, and you would find someone, and you would love him, and, and, you know, die for him and everything. And she doesn't say no. She says, actually, well, I will. I don't remember the quote exactly, but she basically says, if I found the right one, yes, I will. So that's something that actually reminds me a lot of May Alpha, but... But yes, she's not rejecting Lori because she rejects marriage. She's rejecting Lori because she doesn't believe they, they can work it out as, as a marriage. I think to Joe Lori Shippers, it's better to believe that Joe never wanted to marry than to believe that mm. she doesn't want to marry Lori. And that's why they made that excuse. A lot of people are very selective readers. It's very unfortunate because I think then you lose all the context. This is a massive problem because I think the entire Joe and Laurie shipping idea, I think it's entirely constructed by the movies. You can see some of that in the book if you, you're a fan of you know, big gestures that Laurie does. In the novel, you don't get any kind of glimpses to Laurie's head of him dreaming about a future with Joe, starting a family with her, or anything. It is entirely manufactured by the films, and they don't show things like Joe wants to go to the university. When Laurie is in the university, he doesn't really pay attention to his studies. So I once read this quote from someone who said that, in the 1994 film, when Christian Bale is packing school books, it means that he loves university. So <laughs> he and Joe are a good match because they both like the word of academics and I'm just rolling my eyes. Yeah, no, I think in that scene, the 1994, Joe even is telling like, take this, I take this book, I take this one. Yeah. And, and Laurie is like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to how is that an academic? I don't know. It's so funny when Joe is in New York, when she sees Friedrich, they're not introduced right away. She's adjusting the position of her couch so that she can spy on him through the glass door and hear what happens in his classroom. <laughs> That's pretty transparent of Joe having a crush to this German teacher. I just read that from your post. Uh, I think it's a big post. Oh, yeah. <laughs> In the 2018 film, I don't think there was anything romantic going on with Joe and Laurie, and I like that. She was very clear when she said no to him, but then there is a scene where she says that, oh, Amy stole Laurie from me. This is what I mean when I say that the whole Joe and Laurie thing is entirely manufactured. Uh, at this point, with so many adaptations, I don't feel like filmmakers are reading the book anymore. There is just a canon of scenes, and there is a way of telling the story in the movies. They directly go to that, and they don't pay attention to the book. They say in the 2019 that Greta was like reading the book, and that she was underlining everything important, and, and, and it's like, if she did that, it's like you said, it's selective reading because she put the proposal scene and she got the part where she says, that line where she says, well, yeah, I would marry if, if ever, if, if the right one comes. But yeah, she, she did a lot of that thing to 
you said it also in another one of your posts that you know she was trying to please the LGBT community by making her maybe a sexual yeah from the LGBT community. So she wanted to please everyone without ambiguous ending. Where well, if you want her to be married to Prince, then you have it. If you don't, you also have that. Yeah, I don't think that she actually read the book with the attention that that, that it needed, and I don't think other filmmakers have done the same. It is really disturbing when you say that you want to do a good job with Amy and Laurie, and then you are trying to please these people who are rooting Joe and Laurie, and then you make statements that you actually want Joe and Laurie to be together, while simultaneously saying that Amy and Laurie should be together. When I read a book, I realized the letter where Joe writes to him saying that she's changed her mind. And in the book, that obviously didn't happen, because actually Joe rejects Laurie twice. She, she writes again, and she says, like, no, I, th- I told you no, I said no, and she even says, like, and, like he should find a girl for him and just keep a place in his heart for his friend Joe. And, and yeah, the 2019 movie makes this, make this choice of having Joe regretting her decision and going and writing this letter so that Joe and Laurie Schiffer would be like, see, she did change her mind, you know, and it's like, well, okay, that, that's not true, that's not how it happened. He never ever said that. It's pushing him to other women. When you read Louisa May's biographies, you come across how she hated fan mail, and then she got all these letters from these little girls saying, you should marry Joe to Laurie, you should marry Joe to Laurie. Or rewrite the entire book, and she didn't want to do that. But then I have also been thinking, well, there must have been Amy and Laurie fans back then, and also Joe and Fritz fans. I also know that Louisa asked a lot of the fan mail to be burned. In the 19th century, when we think about what was acceptable for a male character, that's not really the way things are now. If Little Woman would be published today, I think there would be maybe less biased views to the way Laurie is treating Joe, or the way Fred is treating Amy, like you said. People are still reading that book and they're still thinking that, that, that the choices were made were wrong. So I, I don't know. I didn't have to do a lot with it with the way they are at Laurie Tiger writing the adaptations that it biased people's reading. But when I brought the post of uh, Laurie being a fallen soldier, uh, I got a good responses. So I hope people are, are realizing how, how wrong that was. It is a very slow movement. When you think about Goethe, <laughs> how his characters were romanticized in the 19th century, I think it's good that there is a lot more discussion now how male characters are portrayed in the media and also the female characters are. But it's fascinating how our views on the novel can change very drastically depending on the adaptation. Like I was speaking with somebody who said that they didn't like the 2017 adaptation because they thought that Laurie was quite obnoxious the way he was trying to kiss Joe, harass her. And when I saw the 2017 adaptation, I was so annoyed because they kissed because that doesn't happen in the novel at all. You're going to be influenced by the first adaptation that you see. I'm going to tell you, you, you said something about Amy Laurie fans in the 1860. They actually had to, was very used to, as soon as some people realized that she was the sister of Louis Camille, they would go to ask her about that. And she would always have to answer, did she marry Laurie? And she was like, no, I didn't. 
at some point she was uh, kind of annoyed. Like, Luisa wasn't like, yo, what's that in girl's voice? Yeah, there were, there were people who, who liked the, the relationship. Do you mean there are people who liked Amy St. Laurie's relationship? How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. Taking charge of your future starts with taking the first steps. And saving up to $30 a month on Cox Internet with the Affordable Connectivity Program makes those steps easy to take. Whether they bring you to click upload on your first short film or join now for an online book club. Applying is easy. See if you qualify at cox.com slash ACP. Non-transferable one per household application and eligibility decisions are made by the FCC. That makes me very happy. <laughs> yeah, in the biography, that, in the memorial that was written in the 1920s, the author was able to interview a girl that met me. And yeah, she was like, I was talking about her, like, little women and whether she married Lori and, you know, all of this. I thought it was interesting when you said that May sometimes felt herself lonely because she felt that it was difficult for her to find a partner who could accept her as a sort of a career girl. I think this is the same with all the Alcott sisters because I think you and I talked earlier that Anna Alcott, she was quite old when she married. During this time, the average age for a woman to marry was like 17. Anna, I think she was like 31 or something, which was a quite late age to get married. She took her time to, to marry for love. I think with Louisa, Mel Henry was her soulmate. So when he passed away, I think she was trying to find love also after that. It must have been a bit difficult when you have this sort of ideal person that you compare every man you meet. I mean, yeah. you can read from Louisa's journals how she was sad and lonely. I compared her own situation to her sister's and nobody can really convince me that she wanted Joe to be a spinster. I thought it was interesting how all of them believed this idea that women should only marry if when they know it's a real deal. Could you tell a little bit about May and um, Ernest? That was really, really nice. I think Let's say that Louisa's writing was kind of prophetic because, like I said, Ernest was a businessman who was a violinist. She chose business, you know, to make a better living and to help her. She's, his family, she had uh, like eight brothers. So, yeah, she, she, she ended up in business. She, she was always very interested in the arts. And so when maybe, when she learned that May was a, a painter, she was very enthusiastic about that. And then when it was clear that they felt something for each other, but he had to choose between moving to Russia or moving to Paris for his job. And she goes to May and she offers to marry him. And they get married so that they don't get separated. And they move to, to Paris. Well, they move to Paris and then they move to a commuter. Like very many parts. Many would always praise him for how supportive he was. There's a part 
in, in a letter that she said that he saw it that, that he's more interested in seeing what may have faces to give her a critique than in having a good meal. So that, that's, I'm sure that for me that was everything because, uh, you know, when Luisa learned about her engagement, she was very concerned about it. She wasn't against it, but she had just read a novel that is the story of Abyss, that Abyss is a painter, and she, she's very focused on her artistic education, as she says, she's never gonna get married. And then she gets married. She tries to balance work and life and personal life, and she ends up giving up her art. And Lisa didn't want that to happen to her sister. Ernest was never going to be like that. And that she really supported her. May called that the two happiest years of her life. Yeah, she was one of a kind. And I, I said in a post recently, you know what? May got her glory at the end. She, on the contrary, she encouraged Amy to keep painting, and she didn't want her to stop her art. And so, you know, May also got a, a, a man. It's really beautiful. It's a wonderful story. It's so sad that May had died so young, but he made sure to live life at, at its fullest. And when she found the right one, she didn't hesitate. Within months, really, they, they got married. Yeah, she was a very, a person who really um, made sure that, that she lived life at, at, at its fullest. I think there was some quote from May. Something about living life in, in the fullest. It's really interesting, well, a bit sad how, you know, a lot of people sort of make fun of Meg. They see her only as this sort of domestic goddess, but then what I read about Anna Algo, she seems generally a really nice person. Well, I don't know if the person is the lead or what, but it says, Meg is useless. What? Apparently she said that, oh, well, you know, the government would still be friends with Lori. Even if Meg wouldn't have hurt her uncle, and her story isn't worthy of any other of the others uh, sisters. It's a bit same as with Laurie in the adaptations. They don't really pay that much attention to Meg's growth. Essentially, her uh, her arc is that she's trying to be a super mother. I think it's also about the, the Vanity Fair scene, when she's being objectified by the other girls. She kind of sees the contradiction there. These people are not my friends, they are just treating me as some kind of a doll. I think they even refer her as a doll in the novel. So it's about Meg sort of coming terms with who she is in the first book, then in the second part. It's about her trying to, to find a balance between marital duties, still be authentic to herself. There's that scene with, when she's not wanting John to be as involved with raising the children, and then it creates all kinds of problems, and then Mommy steps in and says that it would be good for uh, for Demi to spend more time with his father. It's really modern take on parenting that Louis has in, in, in the novels. Yeah, yeah, I really like that. Marmy is encouraging the girls to get married because she says at one point that the greatest thing in life is to find a man that loves her and that's true then. Like, like you said, she's encouraging Meg to let John be part of, of parenting, especially with Denny. And that's a part that I really like that it shows that John, she's a very sweet man, but she also has her temper when it comes to discipline. And, and Meg doesn't have the heart to tell Denny, like, to shout at him or to be a good mother. She, she needs discipline. Yeah, she wants to be perfect. She wants to be the perfect wife, mother, woman. I mean, she hasn't nailed down 
because of the jelly. And uh, she's in the kitchen and she's crying. And Johnny's like, "What? Wow, what's wrong? It's like just the jelly." And and Stephen laughed at that. He's like, "Really? That's that's it?" And it's like, "Well, she's working herself uh, out." So uh, of course, a tiny thing like that is going to snap. The male characters in Ill Woman, they turn out to be very good father figures, the way Laurie is Bess and Frederick with his sons. I think I read it on the blog that was in to celebrate the 150 years of the of the book where it says that the girls, because of uh, you know the way things are, they have to take their name. So they are Mabel, they are Joe, they are Amy Lawrence, but really it's a the men who are that, that are adopted these families and they belong to the, and they, they form this community. All the men ha- are lucky parents. Like they like Frederick's mother died and from what he says, I think that his father abandoned him. And then obviously Laurie lost his parents and John think his mother is still alive back then or not? I don't remember. Yeah, his mother might be alive. Yeah, there's some tension of how much he took care of, the, of her. Yeah. When he died. Yeah, when he went doing his funeral. These men have had a lot of problems on their lives, and so there are two ways they can go. They can be bad parents, or they can be absent, and they can be... They, they can make their children have absent fathers like they have, or they can be the best fathers they they can be, and they choose the his left one. So it's it's really it's really nice how yeah the men will go do everything to be the the best parent. Very close friends with John Pratt, and so she would write to him a lot. But he was also very good friends with with Joe that talk about how they made the day his play, and they call each other dolphins, and I don't remember what was those. Europe 
USAA insurance for veterans like James. When he found out how much USAA was helping members save, he said, It's time to switch. We'll help you find the right coverage at the right price. USAA. What you're made of, we're made for. Restrictions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So I've seen someone like that. But in this case, it is a positive influence that the sisters had in his life because he was very lonely and isolated when he moved to Concord. Yeah, and I think, you know, people are like, oh, what's what's wrong with Lori, like, going around and everything? And it's like, well, back then, it was even more, life was even harder. And y'all that mommy man and part of that, I think it's because they get the work done. And Lori... The way she gets a path because she's rich, like she can get other people to do the things that need to be done. But yeah, I mean, if, if she were poor, she would be lost. I mean, she wouldn't have anything to, any, any, any purpose, but any, she, she wouldn't have a good life. Just yesterday, I was reading an article about Henry Tarot's ideas about work ethics. <laughs> it just makes me think how in Little Woman, so one of her requests for romantic partner is that they have a very high work moral. Laura Dessel was she kind of mentions that you know the German immigrants they were embraced in the New England area because they had a Lutheran high 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 work moral. It's, it's interesting how in a woman these certain male characters like Laurie they get the redemption arc when find 
their purpose in life? Was it then being a parent or falling in love with the right person, finding some enjoyment, value in the work that they do? Like you said, Lori gets a fan because she becomes altruistic. And also, you know, all of these uh, characters, no matter how how much money they have, they, they, they dedicate their lives to help. You know, and Jody dedicates her life to, to bring bring this voice. What more? Well, to, yeah, to help raise this voice. Yeah, you're right. And it's like, well, if like you don't want to be blurry with them, they, Lori actually appeared and I, after to third, but she she's like, well, you know, Amy is really good at that, so maybe you can take some classes yeah. over. Yeah, he's like yeah. a low key trying to encourage Joe to be a bit more flirty with him. Yeah, and Joe is like, no, <laughs> I don't want that. As for example, Amy is like, uh, she like in Amy's case, Lori also brings his friends, and Joe wants to be one of the group, and Amy is like enjoying all the attention she she gets. I have read lots of different studies about this. Did Louisa somehow condense uh, May for for her feminine assets? Or I think some of that might be true because when Louisa was younger, she kind of compared herself to May because May was you know blonde and with blue eyes. But then it also seems that Louisa grew out of that. I said there is this idea that Louisa might have deprived Amy of genius. Because she was jealous and because she was tired that May got everything very easily. Which is not really a, a lie. I mean, she, and, and May had a lot of love. I mean, there were always people ready to help her because she was so agreeable. We were like, oh yeah, yeah, here, here's some money for you to go pay yourself some art classes. Or, for example, Emerson was like, he opened the library to her and, and he also idea of Joe, what Joe is, based on the films, and then there is this pop culture idea what Amy is. It's not very close to the reality of things, or Louisa and May's relationship. Yeah, that's something that I, I didn't like to watch about the, the novel that they did about May, because they were always 
making her fight with Lisa. And they say, well, they couldn't have fought that much. I mean, they fought, they had to live together in Boston. And they went on a trip together uh, to Europe. Yeah. May made her daughter after Louisa. Yeah, she, she thanked Louisa. She's like, your mommy gave us much more than any other kind of, of gift or, or any other kind of, of affection, you know, because to her, if it weren't for Louisa, she wouldn't have had a career in, in Europe. You know, she really owns her a lot. Of, she paid for all of her her education and her, her state in Europe. So they definitely love each other and they have the differences. Like Joseph in, in Colts, she said, well, you belong to the old state and I belong to the new. And that's what I, I say. Well, they, they are basically saying, and the reason is with you, they don't fight anymore. It's a shame that people are always trying to make them fight because we should have a story where these two women were very different, can also be very good friends. At the cause, it's really the last time when they have a conflict. Like after that, it is a pretty smooth relationship that yeah. they have. She's very angry. I think more at herself than at Katie, which she loved to treat herself. Maybe say something about how, what she plans to do, that she plans to see if she continues or not in Europe, and it's not just a mere treat to her and, and uh, Joey's like, well, suppose that you don't have genius, what are you going to do this? And she's being very, she's angry. And she's like, and Amy is like, well, I'm going to come back to teach. And Joe says, no, you're going to marry a rich man and lead, and, and lead to the lack of luxury the rest of your life. And, you know, she said that, but I think she said that in the moment she's angry, she's, she wishes she were her, the one who has to go to Europe, I will say People really often dismiss that, but she's quite possibly the most maternal character from all the sisters because she's always, always wants to mother someone, usually young boys. You see in the films how Joe spends a lot of time with Laurie, but then when you read the book, every time when she's outside and she sees like a young boy, she goes to hang out with the boy. I was discussing with um, uh, Albert Skewer. Laura Dessel Walsh, who had made this uh, research on the, you know, German immigration in Little Woman, and she said that she loved the way the marches they adopt Friedrich to their family, and uh, they actually start to embrace his German heritage, which is very unusual of the time. But then also, when it comes to Friedrich, he mentioned how he has these two nephews who he is taking care of. You know, I read from some block once again that why would you adopt these random children? I'm like, did you read the book? She loves the fact that he has two boys because Joe loves boys. I think with Joe accepts these boys and considers him as part of her family as much as as Rob and Katie are. And then what I also like is that the, you know both friends and Amy. They're not just adopted by Joe. I mean, the whole family considers them as part of, of 
their community, they called Amy Aunt Amy. That means that all the family really loved and really treat them and give them the place that they, they deserve. As, you know, they're not just, oh, these kids, these three kids, uh, they have to be here because Joe married uh, Fritz. No, they are part of the family. I really think we need a young voice adaptation because all the books make statements about feminism and now, yeah, this, this, this idea, but really young voice is where you can see a lot of very uh, much more, much clearer uh, ideas of feminism, like the quote you, you sent me yesterday about then like, Grandpa, do you think men, that the women should, should obey men just because they I don't know if she said that they are stronger or something like that. And there, there's also this chapter where they send, you know, the, the, the sisters hang out together to do their mending. And then Meg was like, well, you know what? The, the girls from the university, they also should learn to do this. <laughs> uh, and, you know, they, they are not just mending. They are changing ideas. And Amy, for instance, is a woman, a wealthy, wealthy woman, talk to them about you know, more and more ideas. So I love that chapter because it's how you can combine things. It's not, it's not against independence and, and yeah, and feminism. Always really like that because uh, Daisy and Demi, and then also best they call Friedrich as uh, Uncle Fritz. So it, it goes both ways. In Joe's post, they also mentioned that they are going to have a women's rally <laughs> and make posters. They are voting for the, the right to vote. It's nice to see that kind of historical connections because, you know, Louisa was the first woman in Concord who voted. I think people really tend to neglect the, how Louisa also makes a point of writing very feminist male characters. My favorite example is Mac in Rose in Bloom, but I think, well, Friedrich and, you know, John and Laurie. Laurie with, with Amy is also more decent. I did the evaluations on the portrayals of the, of the male characters in algorithm studies in the 70s. A lot of the people, they were complaining about the male characters and the scenes that they were referring. They happened in the adaptations, but not in the book. But you can kind of see that uh, still today because, you know, people say that, oh, Friedrich was against Joe writing, you know, sensational stories. And, well, in the book, Joe herself doesn't want to write the sensational stories. You completely lose the context uh, of how Louisa May out kind of embodies intersectional feminism. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that was something that... Again, when I, I have read, I have seen the, the movie and then I got confused because I was like, hold on, so I read it a few times because I was like, am I understanding right? Is Joe having mental, mental distress because of his stories? So then it's not very good that she keeps writing them, right? Patrick never actually says, your stories are bad. She says, the genre is horrible. And she's right. And I think, Today, people might say, oh, that's too much. I mean, what's wrong with, you know, reading these stories? It's too, just being too moralistic and everything. But, well, that's, that's the, the way the, uh, the marches thought. And it may sound a little too much to our time, but to, back then it was, it was, uh, really important, this, this stuff. Yeah, I think it, it's the same as when it happens, like, oh, they are, they, are, they make so much emphasis in God and Christianity and everything. That. It's like, 
trying to understand the, the, the historical context of, of the story. You know, I don't think people understand that fully, that, you know, how, how important was religion, how important was morality back then. Luisa was a very religious person herself. It's quite natural that she would include some of that into a book that is semi-biographical novel about her. She also wrote sensational stories and she also did not like her editor because when you read some of these more racist stories from Luisa, they are not immoral. But, you know, her publisher was asking her to cut out the, the scenes that he he thought were too preachy. It's actually the magazine that is the villain in the novel, you know, the weekly volcano. If you want to find a villain from the story, it's never Friedrich, because in the book he actually gives Joe a copy of Shakespeare and, you know, encourages her to study character. It doesn't sound like someone who wants Joe to stop writing. It, it, he's someone who wants so to become a better writer, so she can put her focus on writing something that it is meaningful for herself. I wrote a few months ago about how, well, Joe even says that, she says, oh, if I didn't have a conscience, I, I could, a conscience, I could, uh, I could keep writing this. So, you know, she, she definitely knows it's wrong. She's, you know, she's so ashamed that, and it's, it's something that I think that in the movie, she even says, that she doesn't like the signing with her name because she doesn't want her mother to read it. And it's like, well, if you're ashamed of what you write, you then you shouldn't write that. Joe and Laurie ship is entirely constructed because part of that is turning either Amy or Fritz into a villain. So it's, it's really sad because she would actually see that Joe herself has this mental breakdown because she has to write these stories. Well, of course you are going to align with Freddy because he's trying to help her, but then you're you're not including that breakdown, so you don't really see the lengths that he goes to trying to help her. Yeah, I think the only adaptation that I see that it's Frederick criticizing the genre of Joe's writing is the 2017 TV series, but then Joe gets angry, so that's also not... Uh, I like Amy and Laurie in the 70s series, but they make both Laurie and Freak temperamental, but then they should actually make Joe more temperamental and Freak less temperamental. In the 1933 and the 1949 films, Freak's feedback is a lot closer to the book. You know, he's very encouraging and there's no conflict. But then, once again, you do not see that how Joe has that mental breakdown. Since 1933, that mental breakdown, they have never included that. In the book, she has this mental breakdown. I think she even mentions how this research that she's doing for these, these stories that her publisher is asking, she has night terrors. I think it mentions that it is corrupting her pure soul. And I often wondered this, if this was something that happened to Louisa. In Rosenblum, there's this scene where... Rose says to her uncle that there's this book that she wants to read, but the book has a bad reputation. And then she reads the book and says that, well, uncle, you were right. It, it was a book that didn't do me any good. And then in Joe's voice, there is that whole chapter where Demi suddenly decides that he wants to be a journalist. And Joe doesn't want that because 
maybe bad experiences that Louise had with uh, writing to magazines. Uh, I think it's really fascinating that um, she did have some kind of idea what kind of message she wanted to deliver to people with her stories. When Friedrich encourages Jo to become, you know, a better writer, to find her own voice, it also means more liberty for Jo as a writer, or Louisa as a writer, because then you are not so bound uh, to these requests of the editors. And very ironically, when you read uh, Louisa's um, letters with her editor, Thomas Nice, he never forced Louisa to marry any of her characters. It's more about distribution and um, all these more mundane topics. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Very good. Her to become the best writer that she can be. And, you know, at first I also, I also roll my eyes with some of the father or or some, some of them were like being very wrong and this is not uh, morally correct and anyway. Okay, uh, and yeah, I also roll my eyes at that, but then you have to understand that it's a, a book for girls, mainly. You know, you really have to set these values and set these ideas very strongly into their minds, and, you know, after that they can make their decision, but she's trying to tell them how they should behave, and yeah, that may sound a little bit much for us, especially, it's, it's necessary. Especially because during that time, you know, most of the marriages, they were made because of economical reasons. So when women actually married for love, it, it meant liberty more for the future, which is actually very, uh, an interesting concept when you think about it, you know, in the 19th century context. Yeah, yeah, and uh, recently somebody talked about how next chapter of Vanity Fair it's not really well addressed in the 2019 movie. And then I was like, well, you know, they glorified also Amy for wanting to marry Rich. And they are like, oh, she, she, we should praise her because she's been, she's been very pragmatic and she wants to save her family. And I was one of those people who said, well, yeah, I mean, she's being smart and she's being, she's sacrificing herself. But when you think, you really think about that, what it's a horrible thing to do, because, you know, her intention might be noble, but she's condemning herself and Fred to a very loveless, a loveless man, to just a marriage of convenience, it's never going to work. And even more for her, you know, I was telling you how uh, Ernest always encouraged me to to paint, and Lori also, she was, she was like, why are you going to give up painting, you know? She didn't like that. And Fred would be like, yeah, it's okay. You should, you should give up your art. He doesn't say that, she doesn't say that, but it's like in Kat Lawrence's case, Kate Bond says that uh, she likes drawing, but she's going to uh, abandon that once she gets married because her, her responsibility is white, and white is going to overtake everything else. That would happen with Amy uh, too. It's, it's not a good idea. It, it's sacrificial and it's, it might be a noble cause, but in the end, it's gonna cause her a lot of unhappiness. And uh, also, she's gonna be away from her from her home. And also, I was thinking the other day. Well, if you want Laurie and Joe to get married, or if you don't want Joe to get married at all, 
that community that is forming those boys of all the family living together in Plumfield uh, with the other boys on the university, that wouldn't exist, you know, because anyone in Europe may might be around, but Joe, if you want her to, to stay in New York, uh, policy, she's going to be there alone, there's not going to be Plumfield, you really break up the whole family. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I haven't thought of that. It's it's true. It's a bit the same when Laurie proposes Joe. He says that Joe doesn't need to write when, once they marry because he's rich. So he doesn't really get how important the, the work is for Joe. And that's also because Laurie has never worked, uh, and later on he does. Uh, in Joe's post, there's the scene where Joe says to Friedrich that he's the best husband in the world because he's so supportive on her career. Now, it, <laughs> it's actually really sweet. It, yeah. it must have been very difficult for this woman in the 19th century to find a soulmate who could um, uh, accept that they also want to work for themselves. People would have said, oh, if these girls get married, then they're not independent anymore. It's like, no, that's that's not what, what happened. May died. Her father called independence her, her mark tree. And I, and I really love that because even though she got married, not married, it never represented an obstacle for her. And I think that's what happens in, in the book. They never are going to, to be obstacled by when I've been doing this research on this um, real-life Joe's and, uh, and Friedrichs, it's always some kind of couple who has a similar goal for something bigger, like Eliza and Charles Folland. They have this goal to open their home for people in need. They share their views on abolitionism and Im- Im- immigration. Elizabeth Powell and her husband, who according to my theory, was also a model for the 15-year-old Joe. Uh, she became a, a dean of school, and her husband was a lawyer. And um, it kind of echoes Joe and Friedrich, because they also had two sons together. And if I remember right, the other one of them became a priest, which is also what happens to um, Teddy in Joe's Boys. Yeah, I think yeah. people lose a lot when they don't uh, pay attention to the historical context. I think it makes it makes the book a much more richer reading experience and very fascinating. Now that you said that, you know, the common purpose, you know, in, in any other case, that common purpose becomes helping people who have artistic ambitions and they 
you know, they could they could have gone the other way. They could have grown bigger because they didn't have the genius that was required to be a, a famous artist, and they could have you know just enjoyed their 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 wealth, their, yeah, their their wealth uh, just for themselves. But they were like, well, you know, if we can be the famous artist that we we dream wants to be, then maybe we can help others, you know. And they both say, well, in Europe we met a lot of of kids that could have the genius and they they don't have the means so let's help them and Amy wants to help girls mostly and and you, you know you see that happen with Nat and Lori and then in your voice you learn that Amy has a bunch of prodigies. I, I really wish Louisa could have written more about that but um, yeah I understand that May died and so she couldn't write any more of that but that's a common purpose for them and what you were saying about, uh, you know, rich people have a hard time in her book and how you all, you've also said this in other uh, podcasts, how uh, Lori, for example, gets bad because she has this altruistic, uh, this altruistic objective that she shares with Amy. And so it's not like rich people is wrong to be rich, that you, you can be rich, but you have to be bad to society. Yeah. One of the ideas in transcendentalism was that the wealth is only meaningful when there is a purpose for it. In order to receive, you must give. May was the same way. They were taught to be very empathic. Yeah, there's a letter where she writes to Al that she's like, Oh, you remember how I used to be so materialistic and so selfish? And I'm so ashamed of that. She, she's like, I, I'm a girl from the working class. And I should should be proud of that. And I'm going to 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 work and do everything I can to um, to help others. And and she did. I mean, I talk about her writing, her her travel guide. She opened the first art center in Concord. It, it was a big deal in Italy. She talked about how she she, she uh, met a friend, and this friend talked to her about. Uh, there there were apparently there were three schools free art schools in, in certain uh, cities in, in Italy, and they loved that idea. She was like, yeah, everybody, no matter how poor uh, they are, they should have this uh, access to art, because she wanted everyone to be uh, able to appreciate the beauty in, in these uh, works. And it was 1875 where this art center opened. And it was amazing, and the people, and the, the people who were there, really were very—they were very thankful to her because of this. And you know, she was always trying to help people. I think the most famous one is Daniel Chester friend that she did the Lincoln Memorial, Washington. His father would take the train with May every day, and she would talk about how his son is wants to be a culture and he's starting to practice and to make progress and she didn't hesitate the next day of a, the <laughs> next day she was like I performed at her as she come and she was like here take my coffee tools that meant so much to Daniel because she came and in the book that uh, in May's memorial she wrote the preface for the preface uh, yeah she wrote the preface and uh, and she said how that how much that meant and that she even it was nineteen twenty something and she still had one of those tools. It's really amazing.
amazing power she had, she had on the people at Concord in, in her short life. Yeah, she was as altruistic as, as she could be. That is amazing. We need a we need a movie about May Alcott. I know. Well, I I have a movie. I I, I just saw the there's a ballet that there's a ballet challenge, and I want that about it. But yeah, also a movie. I would I would really love to someone to tell that story. She she was a beautiful beautiful person, and her love story is also amazing. And yeah, everything that she did, I think it would help a lot. Could you tell a little bit about Alf Whitman? She, she arrived at Congress when she was 15 years old. It surprised me a lot how she just stayed there. I think it was like less than a year. And she made such a, a strong, uh, she was able to, to form such strong friendship with, no, the Alpha family. And she was friends with all of them. And she was, like I said, I mean, she's more angry with herself than with her, but she has to. At that time, and it's so fresh, the uh, disappointment and the and the, uh, and the news that she has to blame others. And you know, Mommy was right when she said, "Well, you brought that to yourself." Yeah, Mommy is like, "Well, I'm done," but you know, even uh, she said that um, Carol writes, and she was like, "Well, I was thinking of of bringing Joe, but you know, she doesn't like friendship, you know." <laughs> so me, Amy would be much more grateful to that, and also I think. Something that that people forget is the part of the art fair. Aunt March had already told Aunt Carol that she was going to pay for Amy's food. But then the thing that really convinced us, Aunt Carol, that Amy is the right one to go, it was she does in the, in the art fair. And that is one of my favorite chapters because there are how, how Christian this book is. And religion is something that helps Amy a lot to find peace and to, to, to tone her anger down and to like be a better person. And so in that chapter, you really see how she has learned and that this conflict that she had with uh, Mae Chester really brings out the best of herself. Not only did the family praise her for it, but even it says that Mae Chester, she felt ashamed of how unkind she was to Amy and how she wants to be as kind as her, so she's trying to, to, to be nice to that's that's the moment where she she really earns the, the Europe trip. And even Marmy it said I think it says that when Marmy learns about that, she feels like a peacock. She was like, Oh my daughter is like uh, yeah, that's my daughter. That's a really nice nice chapter. Lori, you know, when she, she buys two bases that Amy asked to buy, to buy because they, they were made by May, May Chester. And so uh, she's like, oh, she's not selling them. Lori, go and buy them. You know? <laughs> and then, uh, bought them. And she filled them with flowers. And she gives those stone races to her. And she wrote to the Magnificent March. You know? And that's really nice. And it never happens. But it's really nice. And it really shows how nice Amy is. Like how how much she's trying to, to fight against, uh, you know, the, her selfish nature that she once had. Yeah, Amy is really genuinely kind person. I read this modern retelling of Little Woman uh, subscribing to the enemy, and it's about Joe and Fritz. But there's this interesting scene where Joe says that the reason for her behavior quite often is that she's actually jealous that her sisters are very pretty, 
And that really got me thinking that jealousy that Joe sometimes has for Meg and to Amy, because, uh, you know, the book mentions that Joe is closest to Beth, and Beth is sort of an outcaster in the society, same way as Joe sees herself. Got those quotes from Louisa when she was in the top of her fame and the, the fans can see her. They were always disappointed because they expected her to be pretty. I always thought that was so so strange because Jo is not written to be particularly pretty in the novel. Maybe there is some truth in that. Sort of a contradiction that some Joe's fans have. They love her because she's tomboy, because she's not as pretty as Amy and Nick, because she's not the idea of beauty that TV, the media sells us. They love her because of that, because she's a rebel and because she wants more and that um, she doesn't adhere to the rules of society. But then they also are like, like you said, like people get disappointed that she's not as pretty as, as she should, or that she should have married this rich bachelor. And um, it's, it's, it's really contradictory, these two ideas. I don't know why, why it happened. I mean, it's frustrating. There is this contradiction on how these more rebellious characters are being seen in the media, but because people want to see them beautiful. Louise May Alcott quite possibly had some kind of uh, discomfort with her own looks as well because of her illness. I think that the quote that you said yesterday when you said that even in your voice, the professor still thinks that you're one of the most beautiful women uh, she has ever met. I I remember that in that chapter it says something about Joe that she had been gaining weight and that her family loved the future. And so the fact that uh, Frederick is like, who cares? She's still that beautiful woman. It's, it's really beautiful. And I think, you know, this issue about tomboys and we love them as a baby. In so many movies, so many soap operas <laughs> here, you have these kind of characters and then also mentions that when Freddy comes to courting that the family pays attention to Joe's improved looks. In both of these cases, love beautifies a person. Yeah, it's a really nice idea. I think what I like about the married lover is he's always very proud of Amy. Uh, but then I, uh, I like that because he doesn't have that constant emotional distress that he has throughout the novel. Then it stops when he marries Amy. Because he finds a more balanced life with her, but I think it also has to do with that she helps him to find a purpose. Yeah, we were talking yesterday about the similarities. You know, well, yeah, Malcolm in the Middle. But there is a part <laughs> where she says that she knows she loves her more than she loves him, and that's okay because they struggle a lot. If, if both of them were at the same level, and I think. A friend also pointed out, well, Laurie, for the way she talks about, she kind of loves Amy Fabio's <laughs> more because she can't stop calling Miguel in when he, he finally returns with her. He's like, 
even Joe is like, aren't we proud of going for my wife? You know, can't stop talking about her like that and everything that she does. Great. It's yeah. a little bit the same when Joe says, my professor, all, all the time. They are so proud of, of their partner. It's nice because when Larry is like, you know, my wife, my wife, he always had this desire to be with someone. Like, Larry was never meant to be alone. That's the way I read the book. He was in love with the idea of love at first. It took some self-growth for him to find real love. Yeah, I think at some point Laurie realized that he was just prolonging his pain. There's always this phrase that, well, happiness is also a choice. And he was choosing the other wives. He was choosing to, to be heartbroken, even though maybe the heartbreak had already healed. He just had this conflict of he's falling out of love with Joe and starting to think of it in a more romantic way. And he goes back to Joe because he like, feels like he betrays himself. She tries once more for both, and it's only when she, she says again no that she's like, she's like, oh, okay, fine, I let go. And she starts to think, oh, she, she opens his heart again, and she's like, swaying. And so, yeah, I think, yeah, Lori at some point, you know, she, she realized that he just making himself suffer. Yeah. But it's not the real thing. Interesting in the second proposal because when he writes that, it feels like he's writing it because he feels that it's his duty, but his heart is not in it when he writes it because he knows that he has his feelings for Amy. It's uh, psychologically very interesting. Yeah, I think that letter where she rejects him again to one of the closure that she needed because he, he didn't look sad about it. He was like, okay, like he, in that moment he accepted that he put the the letters and the ring away, and he, he takes a day to like mourn that that old idea, and then he he goes and writes to, to Amy. I've complained about this forever, but I would like to see it in the opera chapter adapted. It has never been adapted. No, it hasn't. It is such a very important part of his growth. Yeah, I mean, it's like he they briefly, very briefly mentioned, oh, I'm writing an opera. And then Amy says it's a waste of time, which is also a really to show his character. I think it's just what you say, the filmmakers don't pay attention. Hopefully somebody does in the future. I have to say, I'm really afraid that the attention that the 2019 movie got and the idea that created spread that Joe never, should have never married, that, that, that people are not going to be great enough to challenge that, and so we're going to have to live with that. I think all the John and Fritz fans, Amy and Laurie fans, all the Canon fans should combine their forces and make lots of noise about the Canon so yeah. that people pay more attention. Yeah, it's so unfortunate. It's like, there's another like, I don't think any other story that has been adapted so many times and made it. It's like, nine other stations are even. 
people really, really need to, to watch this film every 10, every 10, 10 years, and yet none of them been able to, to, um, yeah, to address both, uh, all the characters in the, in the way they deserve. Yeah, that's, that's really unfortunate. Yeah, I know. I think one of the problems is Greta Gerwig is that um, I think she's a Joan Laurie shipper. The lady who wrote the 1994 film is both Joan Laurie shipper and Joan Fritz shipper. The lady who wrote the, the 2017 series is a Joan Laurie shipper. The lady who wrote the 28 movie did a really good job with Joan Freddy. But then also, it doesn't seem to be an Amy Horishper. I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. Yeah. It's something really, really strange. I'm pretty convinced that Louisa Bland chose to marry already when she was 12 because you can trace Little Woman romances, the books that she read, but also to her own life because she, she had wishes to start a school with Henry Thoreau and have babies with him. It's sad that um, people read way too much their own biases on little women, which usually is somehow rooted into this idea that Joe should have ended up with Laurie, which is something that I don't think Louis ever intended. No, because, and you, like, we have talked about it, if Laurie is based on a very dear friend like Oz Whitman, and another one who wasn't really, I mean, she has had a bit of a, I think she had a thing with him, but if it wasn't that serious. It's not okay that we want that, you know, that Joe and Lori are were together because they need like, but no, it's, they were just friends. It was great to have you here. It was really nice. I've never done it before, so thank you for inviting me. It was really fun to come out with this book. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make good choices. Bye. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.